Machine. This is the Hermetic Hour, and I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on ancient and modern multiverse concepts in relation to Hermetic magic, the Kabbalah, astrology, and Fortean phenomenon. Now we will examine philosophical, scientific, literary, and cinematic models of the multiverse, sometimes called the holographic universe or parallel worlds. We will trace the idea through the nesting spheres of the geocentric age to the heliocentric renaissance, the invention of the telescope and the discovery of other galaxies and antimatter, both in terms of science and the pages of science fiction. Our references will be Mary Jane Rubinstein's Worlds Without End, Amicio Kaku's Parallel Worlds, the science fiction of Philip J. Dick and Richard S. Shaver, and films such as The Matrix, Dark City, and Lost Highway. Our challenge will be to reconcile ancient Hermetic philosophy with the multiverse concept. So, if you want to go through the looking glass or down the rabbit hole, tune in and we will tour the endless mouths of the simultane. Well, as you can imagine, this is a rather deep subject. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get deeply into it, but we'll try not to lose you. Although I must admit, uh, as I started into... Uh, Mary Jane Rubinstein's Worlds Without End. Uh, for a while there, I was kind of lost, and finally I think I got accustomed to it and began to to really kind of relate to it. This is a this is a mind bending subject, and it's been a mind bending subject for the past twenty five hundred years. It's been a mind bending subject. And there are a number of uh, philosophers and religious figures and magicians and and uh, people who have helped to to make it a mind-bending subject. But finally, after all of these speculations and and uh, ramifications on this issue, finally it is acquiring some very uh, astute scientific possibilities that it has become scientific theory as well as as uh, uh, theories of uh, mystical philosophy and and uh, theories of uh, literary uh, devices it now has received uh, received scientific uh, scientific credence so let's let's first define just what the multiverse is and and uh, and what is not uh, there's not much that is not and, and uh, there is quite a bit that it is uh, what it amounts to is this the multiverse or the holographic universe or parallel worlds uh, the way it is now, it wasn't always this way, but the way it is now, it a series of other dimensions. According to string theory, there may be 11 of them, and of course that fits with the Kabbalah nicely, but 
but uh, then it also might be endless. It, it could be endless. Um, but what they are are other dimensions that are either separated from us by uh, an impossible distance, or separated from us by, or, or they're they're separated from us, but they are uh, almost coexistent with us. And uh, this uh, this particular concept is difficult to grasp. It's difficult to wrap your to wrap your mind around it. But but it is has been speculated and postulated and speculated upon for a long, long time. And uh, now it appears that it may very well be be uh, really operative. And the reason why we now think it may be operative is the discovery of a substance called dark matter. In, in, in essence, what we're talking about is the universe that we can detect, the universe that we can detect and measure through all our various measuring devices and systems, as a very, very, very large percentage of of its matter is missing. And that what that what that you know it's missing. It's not there. It's just we can't detect it. it this this applies to weight. It applies to to uh, uh, to uh, spectral analysis. It applies to oh. And just about every any aspect of the measuring of the measuring scale which you come up with, almost fifty percent in in some areas is of the universe is beyond our detection. Where is it? It's, and it seems the most logical answer is it's in other dimensions. You might want to think about this like uh, I like to keep thinking about it like a like a little boy blowing soap bubbles, and each one of these soap bubbles he blows is a different universe. And there's no way you can get from one soap bubble to another without breaking the soap bubble. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, and, and all these soap bubbles are floating around. Uh, now, you, you, know, you might say that, that the little boy is God, all right, if you want to say that. And uh, so this one little boy with his little, uh, his little bottle of, uh, of, of soap, liquid soap, and his little uh, hoop that he uses, he is sort of like God, creating all these 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 multiverses and these different these different little universes. Now that's one way of looking at it. But then there's also uh, there's also the the very strong possibility that that all of these different uh, universes are all um, all interpenetrating each other, and we don't even and and we can't uh, we can't detect them, and we can't reach them. But they're they are passing right through us. So uh, it's possible that that uh, from a spatial standpoint, that uh, you could uh, if you could walk through the wall, uh, you might come out on the other side. And you'd be in another another very close version of, uh, of your universe. You wouldn't really know whether you were in it or not. We thought uh, people speculated, of course, that that, that we have. Uh, aspects of penetration. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the various ideas of, of how we can reach the uh, different uh, uh, the different uh, dimensions and, and if they can be reached and all of that as we get into it. But first, let's let's start out and and uh, and using uh, Mary Jane Rubinstein's um, very good book, by the way. And, I, and but as I say, it's. You you need to have a little bit of philosophy and a little bit of 
Vishu Kaku is under your belt before you try this one, frankly. Uh, in the book, by the way, that I'm referring to is Worlds Without End, The Many Lives of the Multiverse, and it's Columbia University Press. Mary Jane Rubenstein is um, uh, the author, and it's copyright 20, uh, 2014. Now, um, according to what Mary Jane is uh, developing here, is that this concept of a multiverse was actually started by the Epicurean philosophers um, and, and a little bit before Plato and Aristotle uh, and the atomists. Uh, the atomists really uh, conceived of, of atomic theory before anybody had any idea what... Before they came up with this, uh, people just assumed that we were... You know, we were pretty solid, except they knew we had a lot of liquid in us, but, I mean, we were solid, and the rocks were solid, and the rest of it, everything was pretty solid. But the atomists, they conceived the idea of atoms, and I'm, I think they jumped right to atoms and bypass molecules, but, but you know, but still. Uh, somebody said once that, that Greek philosophers at one time or another have, have imagined everything possible, and impossible can it possibly be imagined? But these atomists were were uh, very very much uh, ahead of their time, and and they thought they conceived of of these multiple multiple worlds. And um, then Plato came along, and Plato, as we all know, was a um, was a closet Pythagorean. In fact, he was so much of a Pythagorean he even. He even spent about ten years over in, in over in Italy trying to trying to dig up what, well, everything he could on Pythagoras. But Plato um, wrote a dialogue called the Timaeus, which was essentially Pythagorean, and it described the cosmos as you know and it was a sort of the epitome of Pythagorean uh, cosmic conception. Uh, at the time of Plato's flourishing, and uh, in the Timaeus, he he uh, he pretty much replicated and amplified on a Pythagorean uh, universe, which involved, of course, uh, the music of the spheres and and uh, uh, and astrology and the, and the, the in those days they thought the fixed stars were. Uh, you know, were fixed. I mean, really, they really were fixed. I mean, there there was a band outside of all of the spheres of the planets, and they were all they were all you know there wasn't any such thing as an elliptical orbit in those days. They were all kind of a nesting bowl kind of a universe with the Earth in the center, and and then the the, the fixed stars were all they weren't necessarily further away from each other. They were all in this sphere, the outer sphere that. Uh, yeah, well, and there was a spirit beyond that, but they, they, they were all uh, fixed up there, and they didn't move. And and the planets, of course, moved around uh, around the Earth, including the Sun. And that was their their conception. And, and Plato pretty much went along with that, and Timaeus. But then he then he opened up speculation on on the idea that there might be multiple universes. And uh, you know, he contradicted himself in the beginning, and then he went ahead and said that there could be and whatever, uh, giving a kind of a bow to the atomists. And yet, 
when he suggested multiple universes, uh, he was really kind of thinking about about uh, the idea of a duplicate, you know, another universe pretty similar to ours. Uh, and it wasn't right to that dimensional idea yet, although, although, if you recall Plato's allegory of the cave, Plato was already, he was already aware and making us aware that what we saw and what we, what we were looking at was really not the way things were. And that we were, if you recall that, that uh, allegory of the cave, uh, we were in a cave looking at shadows. Uh, we were in this dark cave, and there was a light coming in, and it was casting shadows on the uh, on the wall of the cave. And we really couldn't tell what those shadows were. And yet we thought that that was reality, but really that was a shadow from somewhere else. And uh, so Plato was was setting the stage for this idea which had already been proposed by the animists, that things were really not the way they seemed, and that we were really, uh, what, what, what you perceived was very possibly uh, an illusion. And uh, then uh, we got, unfortunately, when Christianity came along, um, in, the, you know, in the Dark Ages, Christianity comes along, and at this point, um, the Christians have this Trinity doctrine, which we'll get into its implications a little later. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We've discussed that on on our, some of our lectures before, uh, and they they had to they had to make Plato and Aristotle had to serve this doctrine. Well, okay, Aristotle served it better than Plato, as far as the Christians are concerned, because Aristotle. Aristotle took a very mechanical, a very mechanical and a very practical and a, and a down-to-earth, if you want to use that expression, view of things, and that was comfortable uh, for uh, the Christians to adopt that. And yet, at the same time, Christian philosophers were really, really romancing themselves with Plato, and also they were beginning to and they were doing this once 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 the they had their Christian revolution fully established, they they could uh they could disenchant themselves from their anti intellectual bully boys that they sent around to tear down all the pagan temples and, and beat people up if they didn't bow down to Jesus and whatever. Uh they once they had a solid grip on, on um on the state religion, able to begin to entertain Plato. They didn't want the masses so much to know this, but what they what they wanted to do was to transform Jesus from a uh, Middle Eastern um, uh, prophet, and and uh, they wanted to transform him into a Western uh, sun god. They did this very, very, very astutely. But in doing this, of course, they 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 began to usher in the ideas of the old Hermetic universe, and they began to um, they began to uh, you know kind of entertain this. So what happened? Um, but they still had to, they they still absolutely they had to defend this this Trinity doctrine, 
And this is important because um, there is there is a great deal in Jesus's philosophy in, in, the, in the teachings of Jesus. There is a great deal of of support for the motiverse and and for the hermetic uh, structure and. And uh, the central idea of, of hermetism, as I'm sure those of you who followed our who followed our lecture program, you know this. The the the, the main uh, idea in uh, in hermetic enlightenment is that everybody everybody has a divine spark of God, and everybody is at the center of his own universe. Now this is this is. Basically, this is where Jesus. This is this is the school that Jesus is coming out of. Is this form of Hermetic Gnosticism? This is uh, and Neoplatonism that that Jesus is actually coming out of. And the only difference between Jesus and and this only essential difference between Jesus and Hermes is that Jesus could not. He 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 wanted to give uh, salvation. He wanted to give this kind of enlightenment to the common people, but he couldn't do it. The common people couldn't handle it. And so, you know, when, when Jesus says things like, in my Father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Well, what does he mean by that? In my Father's house are many mansions. Well, he's talking about the multiverse. And, and, and the, different, uh, the different, and the endless multiverse. Because according to his philosophy and hermetic philosophy, you're at the center of an endless, endless universe. Each one of us is at the center. Each one of us is has just as much God inside us as everybody else. Now, Jesus could not get this. He, he, he knew he couldn't get this across to the common people. And the best example of this, I think, uh, if you most of you, I think, have seen the life of Brian at one time or another, Monty Python's life of Brian. Well, you know, Brian is out there preaching to the multitude uh, in in Palestine, and he's preaching to them, and and he says, and he says to them, God is within you, and they all cheer, and they all say, and they all say, Brian has put God within us; he's given us God. And then Brian says, no, 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 that's not what I meant. You're all, you're all born with God in you. You've got just as much God in you as I have. And then they all say, they all cheer him and they say, see, Brian has given God, given us God. Brian, Brian has put us in touch with God. And, and so poor Brian, he, he, you know, he can't explain it to him. He just can't. So he, uh, well, Brian never did manage to, to explain it to him. But Jesus decided, I think, even before he started his ministry, he decided that, no, I'm not going to try to. But he told his disciples. He told his disciples the real secret. And and, and said that you will, you will do greater miracles than I. So actually, uh, this, 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 vast, this vast personal universe or multiverse concept is really is Christian and, and is also hermetic. Unfortunately, in the Middle Ages, uh, the church was real boy. You, you don't you don't want to get into this. I mean, they 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 skirted around it. Although, and this is something that that I didn't I didn't realize this until I read uh, uh, Mary Jane's book. But um, 
there was a, a medieval philosopher, and I'm going to try to see if I can uh, dig him up here, uh, a medieval philosopher who actually did uh, promote this idea and, and uh, the multiverse and that we were, that each one of us was at the center of it. And, and he managed to get away with it, and they even made a cardinal out of him. But uh, fortunately, in those days, common people were not reading, and the only the only people who were reading these books were were other other churchmen and scholars, and so they weren't they were too worried about this. And and uh, and then uh, then, of course, unfortunately, the church had these various um, uh, counter reactions, and in Italy where so much of this speculation was going on, uh, these counter-reactions were, were usually generated when the Spanish would take over. they take over Rome or, uh, or Florence occasionally. And when they do this, they bring in the Spanish Inquisition. And then, and then what, you got, what you got an imprimatur for writing last year, all of a sudden gets you burned at the stake. So uh, these were they, they, they were difficult. The, the speculation was difficult. But what? But in the the, the incidents that I want to point out here is that what happened? Uh, what happened uh, in, right before Giordano Bruno? There was a Catholic scholar who they made a, they made a cardinal out of him, a Catholic scholar by the name of Nicholas Cusa, and just about. Everything that that Bruno uh, ended up with came from Nicholas Cusa. But Nicholas Cusa was what he published, uh, and and, uh, he was very careful in one instance. And that very careful instance was the preserving of the special exclusive divinity of Christ. See, as long as you can do that, then you could, well, at least Nicholas Cusa's time. You could, if you did that, you could you could actually publish. Uh, you know, the limited scope they could publish. You could actually publish, and you might even get an imprimatur on it. But uh, the the aspect of this that is important is you have to, you must not write anything that's going to challenge the exclusive divinity of Christ. Well, scholars like uh, church scholars like Cusa were able to rationalize this by saying, "All right, I can we can we can justify the exclusive divinity of Christ by saying that that all Christians uh, have Christ within them, and and therefore we can we can play a little." I play a little trick along it, but you know, a little, a little mental gymnastics. We could do it that way, and then we can still say that, that Christ is exclusively divine. This is kind of like Brian, you know, Brian trying to make <laughs> it the multitude. Yeah, all right, yes, I gave you God. Okay, <laughs> but now you see. Uh, but Cusick was was smart enough to do that, and then Bruno that followed along. Uh, 60 years later, something like that. Bruno followed along, and he credited Cusa for a lot of his ideas. But Bruno, oh gosh, Bruno, Bruno just couldn't. He was very antagonistic, and and uh, he could not manage to to 
to slip into the exclusive divinity of Christ or to rationalize it. So, so he said that uh, he said that uh, well, if the Earth revolves around the Sun as Copernicus says it does, and of course I agree with him, and all intelligent people should agree with him, and if that's the case, well then. Uh, Jesus isn't God, the Son is. <laughs> and, of course, the church had been, uh, you know, rather quietly uh, moving around to the idea of making Jesus into a sun god. But they didn't want Bruno saying that, that uh, no, the Son was the son was God and Jesus wasn't. And so poor Bruno got burned at the stake. And this, you know, this, this was... Uh, yeah, Bruno. It's almost as if Bruno should have had had sense enough to do the little gymnastics. And but the reason why I'm telling you this this story in relation to the multiverse is this: Bruno, boy, was he ever a, a believer in the multiverse. And the idea here of the multiverse is, and so many of them said this, and it's straight hermetic philosophy. It even ended up in in Albert Pike's twenty eighth degree. Uh, it's not in there anymore, but it was. Um, where where you are at the center of the universe, because the universe is endless, absolutely endless, and it has no center. So wherever you are is the center, and and your percent, you are the you are the center point. And here again, this may sound like like uh, you know spiritual gymnastics, but actually, when you think about it, it's very logical. If the universe has no boundaries, if it goes on forever, then where then it has wherever wherever you happen to be, that's the center of it. And and uh, this concept now came about before we knew about uh, the, the fixed stars idea. That that didn't didn't die until Galileo uh, had the telescope. And when Galileo started, you know, we had people looking through the telescope, then we began to realize over the end of the 17th and 18th century, we began to realize, hey, these stars go on. They go on and on and on and on and on. And then imagine what happened when we discovered that they're not just, all of them are not just stars. Some of them, a lot of them are galaxies, other galaxies. Just as big or bigger than the Milky Way, and we know, Lord. I mean, so we're we're faced then with this vast, absolutely inconceivably vast. What what literally is a multiverse? But it's all it's multiverse all in one dimension, as far as we can tell, because we're seeing it. See, we're looking out there and we're seeing them. Now, granted, it's only it's virtually inconceivable when you look out into the into the the night sky and realize that that, that many of these that these little things you're seeing out there are actually other galaxies and they're and they're they're trillions of miles away and 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 and, uh, and the light that we're seeing is millions of years in the past and all it is it's staggering. It it uh, I don't think that there are very many of us really uh that have fully grasped it even to this day, even with the humble and all of the, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that we have. I don't think, I think there's a lot, many of us, and I find myself in that category. I, just to try to, to try to imagine how big it is. And, and are you going to put boundaries on it? Well, we do. We, we 
can we say, okay, there was a big bang, there was something before the big bang. Well, there had to be something before the big bang. Come on. You know, it, it goes on and on and on. Now, then, the next thing we we discovered was this antimatter thing. Like, hey, we're looking out at all these galaxies and all this in this endless universe here, and, hey, that's just what we can see. There's other dimensions there, and they'll probably go on endlessly, and we can't see them. It's like, it's like the old hippie joke, you know, there's an old hippie joke about the two hippies are down on Santa Monica Pier, and, and, and they're kind of stoned, and, and the, the one looks out there, and he says, man, that's a lot of water out there. And his buddy says, yeah, and that's only the top. Well, yeah, think about that, because that applies to, to deep space. Yeah, you're seeing all these galaxies and nebulas and, 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 and all these uh, magnetic clouds and all this kind of stuff. It goes on and on and on and forever. And that's only the top. That's only one dimension. What about all these other dimensions? Yeah. And if you are the center of this universe, you are also the center of all these other universes. Now, one of the points that we um, actually... Uh, physicists obeyed, and, and, and now I want to explain that. Um, you get into the science fiction aspect of this uh, pretty shortly, uh, and so consequently, um, we for a while there we would talk about uh, we would talk about other dimensions to our our friends who were atomic physicists, and we would we would kind of suggest that these other dimensions were just very much like our world, and and, uh, and that we could, uh, you know, through the looking glass, and things were a little different, but they were very much like our world. And the other, and the atomic physicists a few years back would look at you and smile and say, oh, come on, you don't know. Another dimension, yeah, that's possible, but it wouldn't be like that. It would be smaller, it would be larger, it would be different, it would be whatever. Well, now, they're not so, at this point, your atomic physicist friends are, most of them, are not looking down their noses at you when they say that. But then they did. Now, why did they? Why did they look down their noses when we suggested this? Because the science fiction writers had already come up with it. Well, they, they, it, there's a good reason for that. It, our, and this is something, by the way, that Mary, Mary Jane Rubinstein points out. Our particular universe is very, very delicately balanced physically. And it is so delicately balanced physically that if just one little factor is out of whack, we'd all be dead. We'd all be gone and gone and, and, and I don't know how long it takes to be extinct, but we would be. We couldn't. We, we are so delicately balanced. And everything is, that, that it almost, this is the argument really for intelligent design, by the way. Uh, and because... Uh, our ecology, and and uh, like you know, for instance, the Earth, we couldn't live without the moon. You know, the moon controls the tides and, and seas and a lot of other things, and and the moon's too big anyway. And so, how does all this how does all this get balanced so we can so we can live? Now, granted, human beings are very adaptive, but if you mess around with our air, the mixture of our air, we're not going to be here very long. And and if we try to live on Mars, trying to live on Mars is about like Trying to uh, trying to live underwater at the North Pole. Uh, sorry, without uh, without uh, 
uh, several thousand dollars worth of protective gear, you're not going to make it for very long. And uh, so how, how do we, in another dimension, in another world, another world separate from ours, you know, you may be, spatially it may occupy the same place, but if, if it's different, if it's so different that we can't contact it, oh, we can't contact it by usual means, but let's say we can't contact it, it's separate from us, it's going to be different eco- ecologically, the, the scientists would tell you, and you couldn't, uh, you couldn't breathe because the air mix would be different and all of that. Well, the air mix would be different, the temperature would be different, a lot of things. Uh, so, therefore, other life forms would have to exist, not human beings and whatever, and on and on and on. Well, you know, they may be right. But that, they may be right about that, but then uh, we have an answer to that one, too. If this is a holographic universe, and if we are all, you know, if we're all uh, at the center, each one at the center of our of our particular holographic universe, all right? Now, what that means is is that even though in the different levels of what uh, of what we call the simultane, in other words, we call it the simultane because it's simultaneous, and all these all these layers are called are referred to as different nows, and the whole the whole complex of different nows endlessly from which you are the center. Is called the simultane. Now, this, this we're adopting this, um, uh, this terminology uh, from a science fiction writer that conceived of this, uh, Richard Sharp Shaver, and uh, since then it's been used by a, a number of other scientists. He was the first we know. He's the first one to conceive of this, of these these layers in this perspective. But it, you can move if you. The only way you can move through the simultane is if you have counterparts in the simultane, which you would have if you're the center of the universe. And that's according to hermetic philosophy. And you remember when I said in the abstract at the beginning, our challenge was going to be to take this this multiverse and and make it relate to hermetic philosophy, incorporate it into hermetic philosophy. Well, you know, I have to give I have to give our old Phoenician prophet uh, Jesus of Nazareth a lot of credit because I think he he um, he had a, a pretty good handle on it and and uh, even though he 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 opted he opted out for the divinity thing but 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 if you just if you just consider that you are the center of the universe you have to be how where else is the center of the universe now you're asking you say okay well well you got any proof of that yeah I do. Our government spent a lot of money, and I think the Russians probably spent more money, or whatever they had for money in those days, uh, in doing experiments in remote viewing. And these experiments were very successful, remarkably successful, which means basically that a remote viewer can get accurate. He can he can send his consciousness out to anywhere in the world he wants to. Wants it to go, and if he's well trained, and if he's and if he's using the right methods, he can tell you exactly what is going on in some other country in some other location, and that ought to be proof enough right there, which we taxpayers pay for, by the way. That ought to be proof enough right there that yeah, 
you are at the center of the universe. You really are, if you operate that way. Well, of course, if you don't care, well, and, you know, if you don't care and you're not interested, well, then maybe you're not. But, but if you realize that and if you operate accordingly, yes, you are at the center of the universe. So the secret of, of making the simultane work in the hermetic system is very simply the concept of your counterpart. Now, your counterpart, uh, maybe say, uh, even a number, your counterpart maybe uh, 20, 20 layers or 20 nows away, your counterpart might be, uh, might be green and have, and have four legs. Uh, or might be it might have three eyes and and one of them in the back of his head and certainly can't breathe the same air. But he's your counterpart, so you can mentally mentally access him, and he can mentally access you. And this immediately this immediately explains so much Fortean phenomenon that just falls into place immediately with this. Now let's talk about a couple of while we while we settle on this, this subject that we would discuss some some literary and uh, and uh, cinematic versions of this so you can get a little better grasp on it. Um, the literary aspect of it before before Shaver in nineteen forty nine actually you know developed a structure and everything else. Uh, and I'm not so sure. In, in his case, Shaver, uh, he was like uh, he was like the ancient Greeks. He imagined all kinds of things, and and this happened to be one that he that he came up with before the rest of them really put the put the tag on it. But since Shaver came up with that, there have been numerous versions of it. Um, I think Zelazny came up with this Princes of Amber, where and it is an interesting concept on, on this, where there was one world, and he didn't use the simultane terminology, but it, but it is essentially the same. There's one world in the simultane that's the real world, and all the rest of them are, are divergent reflections. And the real world in Amber has a hierarchy of, of nobility, and they have their counterparts uh, in, other, in, in other dimensions. And so Amber, the, the princes of Amber run the rest of the, run their counterparts and, and chase their counterparts through other layers of the simultane. And, and, uh, and it, it, this is all set up uh, not in a linear fashion so that, it, so that you wonder why are all these things going on. And finally you find the, the, the the protagonist finds out that he's a prince of amber and all of this, and and, and it uh, it. But it's a good example of of what we would otherwise call Fortean phenomena, like the UFOs. Jacques uh, Vallée, uh, the, uh, the 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 top UFO researcher, has been saying for for decades that the UFOs are coming from another dimension. And that makes very good sense. It does, because they appear out of nowhere. They they operate in such a way that, that no human being could possibly stand the G force that they that they uh they operate in and they they make right angle turns at uh, at Mach four or something like that and we can't we couldn't possibly even our machinery couldn't handle it, much less our, our people. And uh so 
they're coming. They're probably coming from another dimension. And Jacques Boulet has written several, several books on that. Uh, and so our supernatural phenomena, and here I'm using Fortean terms. I think most of you know Charles Fort collected, uh, ruthlessly collected all this stuff over years and years and years and years and years. And it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming proof that that we are not alone in this in this dimension. In other words, there are other dimensions that where where things are coming from and things are reaching us, and, uh, and perhaps our counterparts and perhaps enemies of our counterparts, perhaps uh, and perhaps what we do in this. This slice of the simultane influences what happens in the other side. Consider this too, um, and Shaver came up with this one. What if, what if you are your, you and your counterparts are all at different ages, in different in different slices of the simultane, different nows. You're all at different ages, so you never die. You die in one sign, one layer of the simultane, but you're just being born in another, or you're. Or you're still a teenager, and, and in one you're 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 going down. The next one you're you're still going as a teenager. Your consciousness can uh, slip because the mind is not the brain, and the mind can, as we know, exist outside of the brain. So you could just you could just continue to exist uh, almost without uh, without hesitation. You could continue to exist throughout endless layers of the simultaneous. Oh yeah. Now, as far as navigating the simultaneous is concerned, I have, you know, I, I I don't really have any 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 formula for that uh, because we're not dealing with linear. We're not dealing with a linear track. We're not dealing with, uh, and it, it, this is even more this is even more relative than Einstein. And in fact, uh, consider that that if we could. If we could navigate the simultane, then space travel uh, would be would be uh, very much facilitated. We could go to other galaxies. We could, but but we might as we when we got there, we would be our counterparts. We would we would be our counterparts, not not ourselves, and our counterparts would be would be greatly removed from us. Uh, these are ideas that that. Uh, or a bit mind bending, uh, but to talk about uh, we, we mentioned Shaver, but let's talk about Philip K. Dick because Philip K. Dick used uh, used this uh, this concept, and he and he was very 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 effective with it. And several uh, films that you've seen uh, have been related to this other dimension. Now, a film called Dark City. Very very good film and very much uh, and kind of a Phil Dickey and kind of a kind of a film, but also very much uh, like the multiverse. Uh, and here it, it has a uh, other dimension, another another dimension in which human beings are are dominated by an alien race who wants to study them, so it so they can somehow or other managed to figure out why we are creative and why we are individuals. And Dark City is a, is a very, 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 very interesting film. Another one that that relates, another film that relates to um, the simultane as it affects us in everyday life. 
And this is a film by David Lynch called Lost Highway. Now, in Lost Highway, you have a man and his wife, and mysterious things start happening to them. And what ends up happening is is that, that they have counterparts very close to them. The counterparts are almost identical. And in, in this other dimension that is right next to them, and they are not sure at various times which dimension they're in. Now, this is also possible, and uh, our, um, uh, our uh, friend Ralph uh, Mester has a very, very fine book uh, on, on Worlds Within and Worlds Without. And in that book, he, he's, uh, he's very much into Buddhist uh, philosophy. And in that book, Metzger theorizes that, uh, along with Buddhist philosophy, that that you may be in these different uh, these different uh, dimensions or these Buddhist hells, so to speak, uh, for various times, and you think you're in this dimension and you're not. You could you could be in in, in actually be in a Buddhist hell while you're still. Uh, what do you still believe you're 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 in this particular uh, universe? Uh, you could wake up in uh, in another. You, you go to sleep. Where do you go when you sleep? Well, you know, you know, where do you go when you dream? Robert, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, who, who um, did write some very very good science fiction, he had wrote a, a, a novel called The Slaves of Sleep, where people lived different lives when they were asleep. And had different adventures when they were asleep, and this related, of course, also to their to their activities in this dimension. So, what happens if you wake up one morning and you're in another slice of the simultaneous and you don't know it, and then you go through? So you go through the whole day, and everything is just slightly different. And then you go home and you go to sleep, and you wake up and you're back in the and you're back in the one, and you don't even know it, or Strange things happen, and you wonder why they do. Okay, so all of this is is, is very possible, and it, ex- and it explains it explains these Fortean and spirit phenomena. Now that brings up the question, of course, uh, you might say, well, what about schizophrenics? Okay, um, they're hearing voices in there, and uh, they're having visions of. Of, uh, of these other, um, uh, there could be these other dimensions, what have you. Now, we know that schizophrenia is not a disease of the mind; it's a disease of the brain. But what that, in turn, that disease, whatever that chemical imbalance is, affects affects the brain. I mean, it affects the mind, and so consequently, uh, the, the schizophrenic could have more of an access to the simultane than the so-called normal person. Well, that would fit pretty well with Shaver, because Shaver was uh, at, at various times a schizophrenic. I think he kind of outgrew it, but, but for a while he was, for a while he was in a, in a lockdown medical uh, asylum and uh, in a coma. And when he was in a coma, he was in this other, uh, this definitely another dimension. And, um, uh, so what we what we think of up until recently as literary a literary convenience because this sort of concept was really great for fiction writers they could they could really do you know have a have a grand time with it 
but now we are we're looking at the very the very um, strong possibility that ah hey this this might very well be real and real and real and real and real and real and really real and you wonder where in the center of the universe is the simultane that is the real one and all the rest are reflections is that true would that be could that be maybe could be so are you at the really are you really at the center of your center these are questions you you could ask yourself and you could ask yourself these questions but i would think that this concept would be one that would be exhilarating and exciting and even though you can't figure it all out and it's and it's it could be kind of overwhelming and yet at the same time what an adventure what a what a here you are right now maybe your life is not going the way you like it to but somewhere else one of your counterparts is doing a lot better than you are or a lot worse and maybe you're getting hints of this in your dreams and maybe this is maybe this is uh something you could access yeah, something that will help you, or maybe you can help them, or whatever. Yes, I think that this makes the universe a much more exciting and a much more uh, beautiful place. So I'm not really that uh, that terrified by it. I'm exhilarated by it. I think it's a great idea. And uh, so let's. Uh, but I don't claim. I'm not. I'm not claiming. That that I can that I can navigate the simultaneous any more than anybody else can. I not, I don't have any. I don't have any. In fact, how do we do it? How do we vector? How do we uh, how do we control the vortex? How do we do all of this? Well, we can experiment. Keep keep experimenting. And this is one of the reasons why magic, I think, uh, is an endless an endless fascination. Because in many ways, that's what we're doing. We're exploring the multiverse. Now, next week, next week we are going to have a uh, discussion about what I think is a fascinating subject, and that's the secrets of Sufi Freemasonry. And this is a different version, a different version of the Temple Legend, and uh, a, a system of uh, of uh, the signs of obligation are actually activations of the, of the psychic centers or chakras. There's a lot of very fascinating stuff here. And uh, so next week, it's Secrets of Sufi Freemasonry. And meanwhile, don't get lost in the simultane, especially after dark. And we'll see you next week, and good magic.